European Hearts Journal issue at a glance. Volume 39, Issue 25, Focus Issue on Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Prevention, from lifestyle changes to medication. Prevention starts with lifestyle changes, most importantly moving away from a sedentary lifestyle as physical activity is associated with increased longevity and decreased cardiovascular risk. The majority of the population is still sedentary. How much exercise is appropriate is an issue, as too much of a good thing may be damaging. These issues are discussed in a first review article entitled Personalized Exercise Dose Prescription by Petra Zubin-Masloff and colleagues from the Ikan School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, USA. In order to maximize the health benefits of physical activity, healthcare practitioners should be familiarized with the most appropriate dose of exercise for each individual, depending on their habitual physical activity and relative fitness. Here they describe the lowest and highest level of exercise that proves beneficial in terms of health and what should hypothetically be considered the sweet spot. While lifestyle changes are the first step, drugs are equally important in prevention. Patient compliance with prescribed drug therapy is, however, often poor, but particularly important after an acute coronary syndrome, or ACS. Hannah Winter Fredriksen from the Medizinische Klinik Universitätsklinikum in Würzburg, Germany, addressed this in her clinical research article, Differences in Initiation and Discontinuation of Preventive Medications and Use of Non-Pharmacological Interventions After Acute Coronary Syndrome Among Migrants and Danish-Born. The authors selected 33,199 individuals from nationwide registries and followed them for 180 days after an ACS. Non-Western migrants had lower relative risks for initiating ADP and ACE inhibitors, and patient education and higher hazards for discontinuing statins, ADP inhibitors, beta blockers and ACE inhibitors, and fewer contacts for physical exercise and patient education. Thus, Huge differences between non-Western migrants and Danish-borns in initiation and discontinuation of preventive medications and use of non-pharmacological interventions after ACS exist and cannot be explained by differences in comorbidity or sociodemographic factors. These novel findings are further discussed in an editorial by Gregory Y. H. Lipp from the City Hospital in Birmingham, UK. An important target of prevention is diabetes. Although weight reduction works, it is often difficult to achieve, and medication becomes necessary to control blood sugar. In their review, Cardioprotective Antihyperglycemic Medications, a review of clinical trials, Haytham M. Ahmed and colleagues from the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, Note that despite extensive efforts, cardiovascular disease remains the leading cause of death among diabetics. Recently, sodium glucose co-transporter 2, or SGL2 inhibitors, 
and glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor, or GLP-1, agonists, effects shown to reduce cardiovascular mortality in four randomized controlled trials. In light of this, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved impagliflozin for cardiovascular mortality reduction in type 2 diabetics. The effects of novel antihyperglycemic medications is reviewed, as is their mode of action and cardioprotective pathways. There is a paucity of data on the influences of diabetes on long-term outcomes after ischemic stroke. In their article, Diabetes and Long-Term Outcomes of Ischemic Stroke, Findings from Get With the Guidelines Stroke, Greg C. Fonaro and colleagues from the UCLA Division of Cardiology in Los Angeles, California, USA, assessed this in 409,060 patients with and without diabetes. The 29.6% of the patients with diabetes were younger and had more comorbidities and a higher risk of all-cause mortality, all-cause readmission, a higher composite of mortality and all-cause readmission, and composite of mortality and cardiovascular readmission, as well as heart failure readmission and non-stroke readmission. Thus, among older ischemic stroke patients, diabetes was associated with increased risks of death, cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular hospitalizations, heart failure, or stroke recurrence. These findings are put into further context in an editorial by Francesco Cosentino from the University Hospital Solna in Stockholm, Sweden. Besides classical risk factors that are part of the ESC guideline recommendations, novel risk factors have been identified. Bacteria in our gastrointestinal tract eat what we eat, and their end products are taken up into the body. Some of these products, such as trimethylamine, are oxidized in the liver and promote plaque formation and infarction. A new aspect is reported in the article, Gut Microbial Diversity is Associated with Lower Arterial Stiffness in Women, by Anna Maria Valdez and colleagues from the University of Nottingham School of Health Sciences in the UK. The correlation between carotid femoral pulse wave velocity, a measure of arterial stiffness, and gut microbiome composition was studied in 617 middle-aged women from the Twins UK cohort. Pulse wave velocity was negatively correlated with gut microbiome alpha diversity even after adjustment. They identified seven operational taxonomic units associated with pulse wave velocity. Associations between microbe abundances, microbe diversity, and pulse wave velocity remained significant after adjustment for levels of gut-derived metabolites such as indoleptropionate, TMA, or phenylacetylglutamine. In fact, gut microbiome-derived variables explained 8.3% of the variance in pulse wave velocity. Only a small proportion of the effect of the gut microbiome on pulse wave velocity was due to insulin resistance and visceral fat, CRP, or cardiovascular risk factors, after adjusting for age, BMI, and mean arterial pressure. Thus, gut microbiome diversity is inversely associated with arterial stiffness in women. 
This suggests that targeting the microbiome might prevent arterial aging, a provocative conclusion that is further discussed in an editorial by Stéphane Laurent from the Hôpital Européen Georges Pompidou in Paris, France. While coronary artery calcium has been extensively validated for predicting clinical events, most outcome studies of coronary artery calcium have evaluated coronary disease rather than atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, including stroke. In their article, 10-Year Association of Coronary Artery Calcium with Atherosclerotic Cardiovascular Disease, ASCVD, events, the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis, MESA. Matthew J. Budoff and colleagues from the Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute in Torrance, USA, evaluated the contribution of coronary artery calcium using 6,814 participants of the MESA cohort with over 10 years. Event rates in those with calcium score of zero, a Gatston units, ranged from 1.3% to 5.6%, while for those with scores above 300, the 10-year event rates range from 13.1% to 25.6%. At 10 years, all participants with coronary artery calcium greater than 100 had a greater than 7.5% risk. 10-year atherosclerotic event rates increased steadily across coronary artery calcium categories regardless of age, sex, race, or ethnicity. Thus, coronary artery calcium is independently associated in a graded fashion with 10-year risk of incident atherosclerotic disease, results that are further discussed in an editorial by Jonathan A. Leipzig from St. Paul's Hospital at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Cardiac troponin T is an established marker in patients with acute chest pain and recommended by the ESC guidelines, but not in those with peripheral arterial disease, or PAD. In their article, High Sensitivity Cardiac Troponin and Natriuretic Peptide with Risk of Lower Extremity Peripheral Artery Disease, the Atherosclerosis Risk in Communities, or ARIC, study, Kunihiro Matsushita and colleagues from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, Maryland, USA, evaluated this association among 12,288 middle-aged adults, of which 454 developed PAD during follow-up of 22 years. The highest category of HS troponin T and NT proBNP showed an 8 and 10 to 20 fold higher risk of PAD and critical limb ischemia, respectively, even after adjusting. Thus, HS troponin T and NT proBNP were independently associated with PAD, particularly with critical limb ischemia, suggesting the usefulness of these cardiac markers. The conclusion is critically assessed in an editorial by Deepak L. Bart from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. This issue concludes with a current opinion, Cardioscape, Mapping the Cardiovascular Funding Landscape in Europe, by Axel radlach Pries and colleagues from the Charité in Berlin, Germany. Cardioscape, 
an FP7-funded project initiated by the European Society of Cardiology, identified where cardiovascular research is performed, how it is funded, and by whom. It could be transformed into an online and up-to-date resource of relevance for researchers, funding bodies, and policymakers. They found that cardiovascular research funding varies strongly between different nations within the EU. Cardioscape can support cardiovascular research by aiding researchers, funding agencies and policymakers in their strategic decisions, thus improving research quality. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers. <laughs>